Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. And in Psalms 27, it says, um, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent. And that's really a promise from God that He will take care of you, single mom. He will shelter you if you give Him a chance. That's Pam Farrell offering encouragement for single moms. And she's with us today on Focus on the Family, along with her co-author and friend, Peggy Sue Wells. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus on the Family president and author Jim Daly. John, did you know that one in four homes is led by a single parent? I did not. That's a staggering number. I think it represents somewhere around 20 million children, too. So a, a high number of children are living in the single parent household. And uh, man, I imagine many single parents never thought their marriages would fail, or it could be a situation where, uh, you know, a person is a widow or widower, and that's the situation they're in. We don't know all reasons for single parenting, but circumstances happen, and there it is. Uh, We want to help you. We want to come alongside you. You are doing probably the hardest job in the world And you're doing it with one hand tied behind your back. Mm. And we want to recognize that. We typically lean toward talking about a single parent mom because the predominant number of single parents are moms. Uh, But we recognize that dads are there. We see you. And we want you to know that. And a lot of the content we're going to talk about today, you can translate into your experience. So don't feel like we're ignoring you. Uh, We want to, though, help uh, all of you and single parent moms are the predominant structure that we see. So mm-hmm. we'll be talking about that today. Yeah, we've got help, by the way, at the ministry for all kinds of families, wherever you're at. Uh, but this conversation features, as I said, Pam Farrell and Peggy Sue Wells. Uh, they're both authors and speakers, and Pam uh, is married to Bill. You've heard them before on this show and uh, seen them on the Focus website. Peggy Sue has seven children, and as we'll hear, she raised them on her own. And these two ladies have authored a book uh, together called The Ten Best Decisions a Single Mom Can Make, a Biblical Guide for Navigating Family Life on Your Own. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast uh, to find your copy or give us a call if you have any questions. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Pam and Peggy Sue, welcome to Focus. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's so good to have you. Thank and you. Uh, uh, Peggy Sue, is this your first time on the broadcast? It is, but wow. I have Woo-hoo. watched all my life. Yeah, <laughs> that's so so great. And we're going to unfold your stories, but we're already thinking sainthood for you, given that you raised seven kids on your own. We're mm-hmm. all going, oh, that's a, I mean, that right there is very amazing. Seven kids. What was the age spread of those children? The oldest was graduating high school and getting ready to start her life. The youngest was a year old, and mm. that's when my single parent journey began. Was when she was one. Wow, that I'm looking forward to hearing that because that had to take so much resourcefulness on your part to do that. And I'm sure a lot of moms are going, "Okay, I have two kids, and she had seven. I can learn from her." Mm. And we'll talk about that. But let's start with both of you just describing um, why you created this resource, this great book, Ten Best Decisions. And how did you get to 10 best decisions? <laughs> I mean, I'm always wondering, did God give you a dream or what? 
So the 10 part, that's <laughs> where um, my side comes in. Peggy Sue was working on a radio station. And I was a frequent guest um, there and talked about parenting a lot. And Harvest House has our series, 10 Best Decisions a Parent Can Make, a Single Can Make, a Woman Can Make, a Man Can Make. Okay, if I write 10 Best Decisions a Dog Can Make, you just got to stop, right? <laughs> but we had talked a lot about parenting off air not just on air. And when I heard that she's a single mom of seven, you know, I'm like excited to learn about Peggy Sue. And so we had a lot of uh, friendship conversations off air. So then one day Peggy Sue called me. And I said, would you partner with me on writing this book? And she said, oh, you need to probably just go find another single mom to write with who's, you know, an author. And I said, no, Pam, I am going to pursue you because Pam's mom was a single mom. So Pam is the promise. This is not your identity. This is your experience, mm. and you can still be fine. You know, mm, God yeah. is going to work even in this. The kids might turn out. Yes, it is possible. The kids well, will be fine. That's a good place to start, Pam. Let's uh, turn your direction. You were the child. Right. I was also raised in a single parent mom household, so I can identify with you. Your story makes you. me cry. I well, like love it. It's the, so inspiring. But in your situation, what happened? What broke apart? Right. My so I'm the firstborn daughter of an alcoholic dad with mm. severe rage issues. Like yeah. it, alcohol runs in my family tree like sap. It goes back many generations. Mm. And so my mom, she tried her best to hang in there and make the marriage work um, for quite a while. Uh, and then in my high school years, things started getting worse and worse. And my mom was kind of a functional single mom most of my childhood just because my dad traveled for work. So he was gone five days and only home on the weekends. And then the weekends were scary. Yeah. And um, so that's kind of the home that I grew up in. Um, but my my mom's best friend, uh, she saw the chaos that we were living in. And when I was about seven, she invited us to come to church. And there I met people who love Jesus. And I'm like, this is what love looks like. Oh, I want to know the author of Jesus. So I was eight when I made the decision to come to know Christ in a personal way. And my mom was 28. So we kind of grew up in our faith together. And um, by the time I was um, a senior in high school, things were getting very scary. And my dad um, kept getting promoted despite, like he was brilliant, but despite his alcoholism, he kept getting promoted in his company. So they moved um, about the same time as I started college. And I kept getting frantic calls from my brother and sister who were younger than me. like, should we call the police? Mom's like, she's sitting in the shower. She's been there all day. Um, she's like, has a toothbrush. She's cleaning the grout and she's been there for eight hours. And Pam, can you, can't you come home? Can't you come home? So the, the firstborn daughter in me, you know, wanted to rush home to help my mom. And um, so things came to like a decision point um, because my mom had this fracture with reality that day my sister called and um she my sister was wise enough to um call on my mom's friends who was in Al-Anon with her and um she said we need to get her to the doctor yeah. and I don't know this doctor but I am so grateful for this doctor who said and your husband may kill you you can stay and you might snap and you would kill him either one of those your kids won't have a parent or you could stay and lose your mind. And then who would raise your kids? Or you could separate, hoping your husband will get help for his alcoholism. Mm. 
and you can rescue your kids because it is dangerous where you live. And I'm so grateful for that doctor because my mom said, you're right. And she finally got the courage to call her parents. The other, the other component of that, as I read the book, was he also said, you can medicate. But I'm not going to write a prescription. Right. He would that not write a prescription. That is big because yes. I think too few doctors in today's culture would refuse the medication. Right. He's like, I said, you could become up. numb. You could become numb, but you wouldn't be a good parent yeah. then either. Yeah. Like he was really watching out for us kids. That was amazing. Yeah. I thought. He's I thought a great that was doctor. really good. And Pam, that oh, I mean, my heart goes out to you. I mean, that oldest daughter getting that phone call. You bore all the responsibility. Trying to be the stable one in the household trying that was chaotic. Be, yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. I mean, I was the youngest of five, so. But that burden, you are an adult child. That's right. what that environment creates out of you. Yes. To right. which people go, oh yeah, okay. So God equipped you to be an author and a successful uh, speaker with your husband. And I remember doing some counseling with Gene, and the people were like, oh yeah, that's a tough life, Jim. But it gave you the tools to be CEO of Focus. <laughs> now let's move on over to Gene. Gene, you know, I'm going. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want some sympathy here. But it, it, can we it, unpack this just a little bit? It does create. More. <laughs> you know, you have to make decisions earlier. Yeah. You become either broken or responsible. And for those that are able to grow up responsibly in that, the other thing is you learn not to do what they did. Exactly. I'm sure that was your experience too. Mine too. I'm not going to become what my father was, who was also an alcoholic. Exactly. So you learn from it if you can, if you have the wisdom, and then you have to decide how you don't, you know, kind of carry the burden of that too. What was key about what you said is that you have to make the decision not yeah. to do those patterns, and that's where part of the the book title 10 Best Decisions is because a single mom and the children, when that relationship splits, it's a trauma. And then mm. her brain, the thinking part of the brain goes offline and we go into trauma mode. And trauma mode is fight, flight, freeze, or please. And you're in that. So you're reacting, you're not responding. And so there's no way to like get out of that except to have someone either help you or walk through some steps or something where you can finally trigger your brain to come back online and start thinking again. And so with the book, we said, let's take you through some very important steps, follow these, walk with us, and then as you go through this, pretty soon you're gonna be thinking again and you'll be able to make those decisions. Yeah. Because that's a lot of times, you'll look at a single mom, you're watching her wife, life, you're watching her behavior, and you're like, what is she thinking? And then you see the children that are down at the principal's office on a regular basis because of their behavior. And it's because they're not thinking, it's impossible, they can't, they're in trauma brain. And so she's reacting, and children, the only way they can show they have a broken heart is through their behavior. And so they're not bad kids. They're kids with a broken heart. That's a very good point. Uh, I think this is good for the listeners and the viewers to connect with where you're coming from. And so I appreciate that vulnerability, Pam. Yeah. Peggy Sue, uh, you have a different story in this single motherhood journey. Describe what happened with you and your husband. How old were the kids? What was going on? Yeah, the oldest was graduating high school and the youngest was a year old. And it was kind of the same thing where there had been a lot of travel in the career. So there would be times where, you know, it was just me and the kids motoring along, doing fine. And then, you know, he would come home for a while and then he'd be gone again. And we just kind of like had life like that for a while. And then things just began to escalate. And as they began escalating, it finally reached a point where I had to say, you know, we just all gathered together in the family room. And I said, you know, 
this isn't a good situation. You know, it's not good for kids to see that this is how adults interact. It's not good for us to, you know, have that this is what family looks like. It's damaging. So we have to make a decision. We have to decide if we're going to make some shifts here or we have to decide that I have to put some boundaries up, that this has to be safe for the family. And so everybody got to make a choice. And, you know, that choice, even though they're making it because of their own reasons, it can have a Grand canyon size impact on the people around you based on the choices. But, yeah, he chose out, you know, and that was his choice, and we have, have done our best with Describe what we have. Describe that. Uh, so, again, husbands can better understand what took place there. I mean, you, you two talked about it. You mm-hmm. were trying to be adult about it. And but, we did so much counseling. Yeah. We tried all the counseling, all the books, all the prayers, all the fasting, all the mentoring. I mean, we really worked hard. I know when it was it, it was at the end where I'm like, there is nothing more that I know of that I could do physically, emotionally, spiritually. I, I, I've done all the things that I can possibly know to do. And his point was, it's too hard. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm checking out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, again, being the person I am, the place I came from, I can't believe a man would leave you with seven kids. It's more I mean, that's, that's what, rough. But it's also what is their experience and what are they working through? You see what I'm saying? So yeah, I, can't, I get that. Yeah. But as a man, uh-uh. Sorry. <laughs> it's still, you're leaving your wife, even if you're not getting along, but you're leaving seven kids. That mm-hmm. That's almost an insurmountable mountain for you and the kids. And we do. I'm sorry to be that rough on that. But no, it, but we do pray just that like, men wow. rise up and yeah. do what you say well, and not walk out. And again, I, I so appreciate your tenderness. And, you know, I'm sure we all have family of origin issues. But mm, at some point exactly. as believers, we got to say, okay, we're going to break those chains. I know I'm coming across as a little cold, but it really irks me mm. that we don't live up to what we profess. And, you know, we need to. I think if the church acted more Christ-like, we'd have greater healing mm-hmm. in our families and men particularly it needs to start with us as leaders to do the things we need to do even out of obligation mm-hmm. that's okay that's a good call right but okay so he left what do you do day one how do you get your kids together and go all right everybody here's what's happening that's i mean one year old up to a senior in high school that's a broad spectrum of explanation it breaks everyone's heart Everyone just has a broken heart. Everybody feels betrayed. One of, my, one of my kids said, everything I thought was true about our family was a lie. And I kind of had to go back and say, it wasn't all a lie, but I understand. That's the level of betrayal yeah. that you feel from someone that you think is going to stay with you and be there all the time. So, mm. yeah, so we had to work through that. And I have adult mm. kids that are functioning, contributing part of society. I'm just so proud of them. I like to say I had good material to work with. They're doing well, but they will always have a broken heart. Yeah. And like you said about, you know, things that we've gone through, sometimes it's like we've got to leverage this either as a tool to move forward or we can drown in it. Well, and I, yeah, I applaud you giving the kids that kind of uh, path. You know, the Lord certainly sets the path, but a good parent in this kind of situation, in your case, a good mom, mm-hmm. which was my story with a good mom, uh, laying the foundation that the Lord could use to build on. That's not easy, but it's doable. It is. And you know what? I want to give my mom credit. She's like my hero. Yeah. Because she went from that broken place to like seeking Jesus with her whole heart. And when I began a friendship with Peggy Sue, 
I saw her as a hero. I mean, seven kids, wow. And she's an amazing mom. And so we thought through what are those decisions? What are those smart decisions that Peggy Sue made, that my mom made, that gave our kids, gave me, and then Peggy Sue's kids, that head start, that ability to heal, the ability to move forward in life. And on the front cover of um, Tempest Decisions a Single Can Make, there's two umbrellas. And people are like, why do you have umbrellas on there? And they're not even pink and blue. Right. (laughs) They're olive and red. (laughs) Right. And they really, the top umbrella is that God is our shelter. And in Psalms 27, it says, um, he will keep... Keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. And that's really a promise from God Mm. that he will take care of you, single mom. He will shelter you if you give him a chance. And then um, the second umbrella is the single mom and the promise that he will send showers of blessing. That's what we pray that as a result of the contents of Timbus decisions single single mom can make, that those decisions, those choices will become a life that God can bless her, the kids, their future. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the backseat. It's tough to be a step ahead. and full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Um, Let me go to both of you. What are the dangers of stuffing emotions when you're going through this kind of hardship, like a divorce or a separation? I I mean, it's easy to do. Let's not talk about it in front of the kids. Uh, And, of course, the kids, as a kid in that situation, and Pam, I'll ask you first, uh, it, you know something's not right as that child. I mean, it happened to me when I was five, and I could tell something right. wasn't right, and all of a sudden, Dad wasn't around much or at all. Uh, but you didn't feel like you could say, uh, where's Dad? Because there was something wrong about talking about him. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. I think the harder part um, for my mom and I, because I was older, yeah. um, I became like a confidant uh, mm. to my mom. and But she was wise enough to realize oh my goodness, Pam shouldn't have to be my counselor. I need to get a good counselor. So that was one of her first best decisions that she made is she surrounded herself with support system, um, other single parents that had moved forward in life. And so she she made a lot of decisions very quickly, um, moving us out well, she moved us out of California back home to where her um, parents lived, and so we oh, so lived you had support. right, yes, yeah. but right down the street from wonderful grandparents, um, and we went there a lot because they were stable and encouraging. And Grandpa was like a male um, role model sure. for my brother, especially, Healthy. yeah. 
And so there were some good decisions that she made quickly. And sometimes that's really tough to do because you're selling the house, you're like splitting finances, there's lawyers. It's a lot. And so we always encourage um, single moms, like, don't go through it alone. When Bill and I were pastoring, um, we had a two-step process. And so a, a woman would come, you know, in for counseling or the couple may have been counseling with Bill and then, you know, the guy opts out. Um, and we get the single mom in a room with her best friends from the church that are healthy and um, her family maybe from the area. And we say, okay, we need a crisis plan six to eight weeks, and then we'll work on the long-term plan to move you oh, and the kids so forward. Helpful. Wow. Peggy Sue, from a mom's perspective, that stuffing of the emotions, I mean, some of that, what Pam is describing is wisdom. Hmm. So it's not like completely healthy to just unload. And it's like you said, it's not ideal. The situation is not ideal, but it is our real. So we have to deal with our real. And one of the things that was really important was to be able to still have those feelings. Because I went through a place of, this just hurts too much. I'm just going to shut it all down. But they're like grapes. You know, our emotions are like grapes. So if I shut that down, then I don't have the love and the joy and the happiness that goes with it. So you have to be bold and courageous and brave enough to feel all the feelings because that's what makes us human. And so I would, we made some rules in our home because... Everybody was in a different stage at a different time. So somebody would be fine. Somebody else would be just terrible. Somebody else would be angry. Somebody else would think it was, you know, everything was good. And somebody else would be like, you know, worst day ever. So we kind of had to put some ground rules, which said, you can feel what you feel and we want you to feel it. However, you cannot take it out on someone else. And you also cannot demand that that person change how they feel. So feel your feelings, but it cannot come out on others. And you, we will honor you. This is where you are wow. right now, and that's where you yeah. are right now. And it's going to shift. I would think that really helped the kids regulate their emotions. I mean, they, in, in a healthy way, not to yeah. stuff them down, but to release them appropriately. Because we need to be able to feel them yeah. in order to be whole and healthy, and then to be whole and healthy for our relationships that we will be involved in and that we're involved with now. Yeah, that's really good. Let, let's turn a little corner and talk about elements of fun in a you know an environment that easily says, "Hey, why are you having fun? There's nothing to have fun about here." We had not smiled for a while, and I realized at one time when I'm like, "Okay, life has to keep going. I can't just." crumble even though I felt like it and one of my daughters needed to get her driver's license and so I'm like okay I've got to get her parallel parking so we can you know finish this permit and she can get the license I have to move forward so I said to the kids okay I'm, I'm going to take her driving for practice and everybody else is like we're coming and they all pile into our nine passenger or 12 passenger van so we're all in there and she the reason they came is because she's really spastic and so we're like you know jerking in the car and (laughs) almost crashing into things. And we laughed. We started laughing and laughing and laughing. And in that moment, I realized my face hadn't laughed in months. I mean, just... hurt. Yeah, it hurt. hurt. And then we were laughing so hard that, you know, there were some people that, you know, maybe have wet their pants. I'm not naming names. But (laughs) it was good fun. And I since realized that fun is part of helping everybody to be able to have a healthy life. And then one of the other ways that we did that was um, we would go visit places. We needed to get away from our home and realize that our problems were this big, but the world is this big and God is this big. Mm-hmm. And so it put uh, things back in perspective. And yeah. then each of the kids, I would say to them, what is your interest? What do you want to do? And so somebody wanted to raise animals and somebody wanted to play music and somebody wanted to be in the Civil Air Patrol. And so everybody, we 
we sent them to all their things so that they could develop and they could have fun with other people and they could laugh with them. And and then we would also watch a comedy video every so often. Like if we hadn't laughed in a while, there was a, every Friday night, there was a comedy video on. And now my family speaks to each other in video quotes, you know, movie quotes, <laughs> movie quotes and book quotes. We had to laugh mm. and it was very, very healthy. No, that's so good. Hey, in the book, and we're Right at the end here, so let's come back for another day and keep this discussion going if you can. I'd love to. But right at the end, uh, maybe to tease this up for next time, in the book you talk about five roots of conflict that break out in family. Let's just list the five and describe them briefly. They are rejection, resentment, resistance, revenge, and repeat. Yeah, and which one stands out for you? Not that there's a a favorite in that category because they're all pretty negative. It all starts with rejection. It all starts, that is the beginning of the 5R parade is when I feel rejected and then I go through the rest of the R's Mm. and then we have damage to a relationship. Well, why don't we pick up there next time and we'll go through those a little more slowly and explore them. Can we do that? Yeah. Mm. All right. Fabulous. This has been good. What a good kickoff. Thanks for your vulnerability and being honest. Uh, I think the Lord loves those things that we bring to the light. And I think other people feel connected when uh, they know you're not perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't met that perfect person yet, have you? Not so least, we so yeah. appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. And if this is touching a chord with you, like our two guests, maybe you were the child in a situation where uh, the parents split and you had to live it, um, that's your story. Or you're the spouse and your uh, spouse departed from you either you know through a breakup or maybe in a different way. Um, we want to get this resource into your hands so we can make you the most powerful single parent you can be. And again, we lean into the mother's side of the story because that's the dominant number of single parents, our moms. So get in touch with us. Let us help you. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we hear we don't have enough at Focus on the Family to help single parents. Well, here you go. We're listening. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons we brought our two wonderful guests in to talk about this subject. And a great way to do that uh, is to contact Focus on the Family. John will give you those details in a minute and get your copy of the book. And uh, we'll do it easily. If you can make a gift of any amount, if you could do it monthly, that's great. A one-time gift is good. We also know a single parent's budget is tight. If you can't afford it, we're a ministry. We want to get it into your hands. We'll trust others will cover the cost of that. So don't be embarrassed. Just give us a call and let us get you this great resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah, donate as you can. And as Jim said, if you can't, uh, still get in touch with us. Let us help you uh, by sending a copy of this book, The 10 Best Decisions a Single Mom Can Make. Uh, We've got details for uh, resources like uh, this book and ways to donate online at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And let me just say we've touched on some tender topics today. And if you're struggling and you don't know where to start, if a book isn't quite enough for what you're dealing with, uh, we have caring Christian counselors here. Our donor team makes it possible for us to have a counselor give you a call back. They'll uh, hear you out, they'll listen to you, pray with you, and point you to some further steps for you to find healing in your journey. Our number again, 800, the letter A, and the word family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the rest of the team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Peggy Sue and Pam, and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. 
We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Hey parents, Parent here. I don't know about you, but most parenting advice I've found is a lot like my son's favorite foods, just beans and hot dogs. It's bland and way too juvenile for how old he actually is. But Focus on the Family's weekly age and stage emails have biblical stuff that helps me be intentional as a parent. It's great, like a chef salad of parenting tips. If you want biblical, practical, and personal tips to your inbox, here's how. Go to MyKidsAge.com, put in your kid's age, and get weekly emails that make a difference. And at one point, too, I went to my mentor, and I'm crying, and I'm snotting, and, you know, just all, and she's like, you're concerned you're not enough. And I'm like, how can I be enough for my children? How can I love them enough? And she said, you can't. She said, a two-parent home can't fill your child's heart with all the love they need. The only one that can is the Lord. That's Peggy Sue Wells, and she joins us today on Focus on the Family. Thank you for being along. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, let me say it this way. Single-parent moms are loved. They do the work of two parents and do all they can to keep the family moving forward uh, with the handicap of not having a husband, uh, at least not involved. Maybe he's left the home. Maybe he's passed away. That's a different situation. But, man, do single-parent moms do the job. And I hope you're listening today. We're going to be talking about your situation and what you can do to make the best of it and and really to uh, draw closer to the Lord in the process, which is so, so critical. If you missed any part of the discussion last time, I want to encourage you to go to the website. You can get the smartphone app. Mm-hmm. gives you access to all the, the broadcasts. But it was really helpful, and I think if you can go back and listen to that, it'll add to today's experience. Yeah, there was a lot of heart in that conversation, and uh, the website has all the details. I mentioned Peggy Sue Wells. Uh, She and her friend and co-author Pam Farrell are back again today. Uh, Pam was raised by a single mom, and Peggy Sue is a single mom to seven children, and Uh, They've written a book together that is a a really great encouragement. It's called The Ten Best Decisions a Single Mom Can Make, a biblical guide for navigating family life on your own. And we have copies of that book here and other resources as well. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. Welcome back to both of you. It's good to have you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. You know, for those listeners that didn't hear it last time, what's so important for them is to go back and hear your stories. And we don't want to spend the time today to uh, tell too much of that. But for the folks who are joining right now, just each of you, let's start with you, Pam, just give us this thumbnail sketch of what motivated you to be part of this project to write this book on single motherhood? Right. Well, there's a two-part answer to that. One is I'm the daughter of a single mom who I saw go from broken to beautiful. Um, She's an amazing servant of God today, helping other single moms, in fact. And um, the other is I'm married to a pastor, and I was director of women's ministry. So we had a lot of awesome single moms and single families, you know, helping walk alongside them. So I have a two-part heart. Yeah, that's great. Peggy Sue, your quick story to refresh. Yeah, quick story. Um, Seven kids, the youngest was a year old, and we had just had an escalating situation that was not comfortable and not safe in the home. And so we said, you got to make a choice. And so I started my single mom journey when the youngest was one years old. Hmm. 
You know, let me, I didn't plan on starting at this place, but I think the Lord's just prompting something here. You know, so often in, in the church environment, um, it's a little uncomfortable. We don't know how to manage outside of what normal or how we've defined normal, which is kind of the two-parent family with 3.7 kids. I don't know where 0.7 is, but and I, there's just an uncomfortableness, I think, with the single-parent situation. We're not quite sure what to do, and maybe even, if I could say this, in some circumstances, uh, especially if that spouse that isn't there did not pass on that it was a divorce, we're really uncomfortable with that. We are uncomfortable. As a child, my parents split up, and I can remember going to church and people not talking to me as a child or my mother. And again, they don't know what to do with us. Um, when my divorce happened, it was the same thing at our church. They didn't know. And I was seeing a counselor at our church, and I said, this is just awkward. Nobody wants to look at me. They don't want to talk to me. You know, They're, they're kind of like distancing themselves from my children. And he said, we as a church do not know what to do or how to best handle being a single parent. And if you think about that, what a great opportunity for the church exactly. to embrace this. You think of Jesus at the well. He went at noon to the well, knowing the Samaritan woman would be there because he knows everything, right? <laughs> so he knew she was going to be there, and he started asking her questions, right? And about, that's a, it's a wonderful mission field. Yeah, marital status, the whole bit. So, I mean, I think Jesus was modeling that we engage as a community of believers single parents, single women, uh, and not to be awkward with it. Or afraid. Yeah. Fear holds a lot of people back, like, oh, I'm afraid that they might drain my church like, right. as okay. a pastor. That's, that's understandable. Yeah, 85% of single parent homes do not attend church. And those of us that have been in church, it gets a lot easier to sleep in on the one day you can sleep in on Sunday rather than go if it's going to be so awkward there. And just know that when the single mom walks into the church, she's already feeling judged. She's already feeling less than. She's already feeling really wounded and broken from the experience. So even when you come up and say hello to her, if she's kind of like holding back a little bit, it's not you. She's already carrying all this, yeah. and so yeah. are her children. So if you can just treat her like you know a normal person, welcome. We're glad to have you. Come sit. I have a place for you. Come be part of our Sunday school class. You know, we're not going to relegate you to the singles. You are part of the group. And our children need to see those healthy families and those healthy relationships because I want them to see that. And then they have other places that they can go to ask questions. They have places that they can go when they need to talk. Mentors. But then they have great mentors. And then yeah. they get strong enough that when they choose their relationship later, they will do a good job. A, a mentor of mine years ago said to me, if you think about it, because of the biblical customs and the times that the Bible was written in, especially the New Testament, for this example I'm about to give, when you think of widow and orphan, you know, we think of people who have no parents or a spouse who's died. But this person had said to me, you know, in the customs there, if the husband was out of the picture, they were, in essence, an abandoned mm -hmm. woman. She was a widow. Mm -hmm. And the church needs to take them in and take care of them as a command of the Lord, even if the man is still alive and just has now uh, left his responsibilities. That's an interesting way for the church to think about that. But here's the benefit in the long run. Think of the children, particularly, when they have that good experience that people in the church pursued them, men came alongside them, helped mentor the boys, for example, and it was all healthy. And that is a good story. 
It is a great story. I mean, look at the table we're sitting at right here. Right. We are the result of some healthy Christians yeah. um, doing exactly that. And Bill and I found in our church, a lot of times pastors are thinking, oh, single mom, it's going to drain, and we'll have to help her financially, yada, yada, yada. It's a burden. It, right. <laughs> but most single moms have jobs. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so they tithe even. And what we found is they tithe their time too, because mm. if they're splitting their household, like, a weekend here with the kids, a dad, a weekend. They have this extra weekend every other week. And some of our best, wonderful servants in our church were some of our single moms. They're wow. very dedicated. That makes that even more impressive given everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, last time we left off with uh, a brief uh, illustration of the five roots of conflict that break out in a family. You listed them. We talked about one of them briefly. Let's list them again, and let's just go a little slower so people can grab a definition for each one. Yeah, there was some times where I was noticing that as our family would come and we would gather together for the holidays, we would sort of like, you know, emotionally abuse one another and have pie. And I was like, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go into situations that are unhealthy. So, you know, you have that scripture about... To as far as possible, live at peace with. Other, and I'm mm-hmm. like, God, I'm doing my part. It's clearly everybody else, so I need you to jump in and take yeah, care of this. Straighten them out. <laughs> yes. And he said, you know, there's one common denominator in all of your relationships. And I'm like, what, me? And he's like, yep. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, teach me. Mm. So this is what he started showing me. And I have a great example that one morning my daughter Hannah, she's in high school. She gets up. She's on a Saturday grousing around the house. So I do the mom thing, and I make her a pancake and tea, and I tell jokes. And she doesn't laugh, and the pancake is just pushed around on her plate. And I'm sitting there next to her thinking, I'm feeling rejected. I've done these things to make her feel better, and she's not receiving them. So now I feel rejected. So that's the first R. This is the five-R parade. We start with rejection. So as I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't like feeling rejected. So now I'm resentful about feeling rejected. So now I'm resentful towards her that way. So I sit there a little bit longer, and then it's like, well, fine. You're not going to talk to me. I'm not going to talk to you. You're not going to look at me. I won't look at you. Because like that like reeks of maturity. <laughs> but if you've ever given or received the silent treatment, that's resistance. So it goes from rejection to yeah. resentment to resistance. And then because my heart is hurting, I want her to know my heart is hurting. And this makes no sense when you think about it, but people generally will then do something to hurt the other person because then you'll know how I feel. Yeah, kind of equal treatment. Exactly. So I was just about to do that. And as I'm opening my mouth to say, so how are you doing with that homework? Are you keeping those grades above C level? As I started to say that, I'm like, oh, I'm moving into revenge. That's the next R. So I'm like, okay, I need to not go there. So instead, what I said to her, actually, let me say that before I said that, if I hadn't, if I would have said that to her, what would she have done? If I would have said, what about that homework? Have you cleaned your bathroom lately? She's going to backpedal, right? And then I'm going to feel more rejected. And so then we go into repeat and we make the cycle and we go over and over and over again. And so instead, as I got to that revenge place, I was like, oh, I'm in the five R's. So I said, Hannah, the story I'm making up in my head right now is it's Saturday. You'd rather be anywhere else on the planet than home with your mom because I stink as a parent. (laughs) And she kind of, because I made up that story in my head the minute I went into resentment. And so she kind of shakes herself and looks up at me and she said, I just found out the boy I babysit has leukemia. Oh, gee. It has nothing to do with me. Mm, Right. But I Mm. made up a story in my head, starting with the rejection, and went through this five R's. And then I realized, 
we do this in a lot of places. And those are, those five R's are the red lights for our relationships. So it's going to be rejection and then resentment and resistance and revenge and repeat. And it just keeps going. We touched on this last time, but we didn't dig into it. You mentioned kind of the chaos that is created when that split happens and what's going on. And really, the mature parent is trying to find, the mature Christian parent is trying to find God's shalom, his peace. Exactly. And how do you go about doing that? And it it's kind of like a jungle, I can imagine, that it becomes very difficult to know that peace. One thing you do say in the book that's important is that you remember God's promises as meteorites are hitting you left and right, if I could put it that way. I mean, you're in this like terrible hailstorm of the separation or breakup of a marriage, and then, oh, remember God's promises. Aren't they kind of hard to remember and find in that moment? We, because so much that we had depended on had not held us up, it had become not stable, we looked for something that was stable. And the one thing that's stable is the Word of God. So the thing that we did every night, every night, didn't matter how late we were out or whatever, every night we did, we read from Scripture, and we prayed out loud, from when going from the youngest to the oldest. And then we memorized Scripture. So our Bible time, if it, we could do the whole thing, it was you know reading from the Old Testament, the Psalms, the New Testament, through Proverbs, memorizing a Scripture, giving a blessing to the children, and praying over them before they went to bed. And so I wanted to give them something that they could actually say, I can count on this. And at one point, too, I went to my mentor, and I'm crying, and I'm snotting, and you know, just all, and she's like, you're concerned you're not enough. And I'm like, how can I be enough for my children? How can I love them enough? And she said, you can't. She said, a two-parent home can't fill your child's heart with all the love they need. The only one that can is the Lord. And so that was so important to me that as early as possible to introduce them to the source of that stability and that love, to introduce them to Jesus. And then as much as we could memorize Scripture and have that hidden in our heart so that, like you said, when that meteor came, it was like, okay, I will, you know, I will remember this. And we have that trauma brain because something awful has happened in our family. It's, there's been a split. But then every time there's like a holiday, and you have to do two holidays now, not one holiday, you have to <clears throat> go through different court situations. You have to go through different, you know, who's going to pay for the braces? And is somebody going to cover the car insurance? And, you know, just the, the hurt that comes over and over and over again. And so there's a temptation for it to throw you back into trauma brain again and again and again. And so we had to really work very hard to be able to be thinking and to be leaning on something that we could count on mm -hmm. and not go into trauma every single time the phone rang or every single time there was a visitation. Like, thy word I've hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. When we hide God's word in our heart, um, it strengthens us, whether we're in a single-parent home, a two-parent home, yeah. like any kind of trauma, drama. Like a lot of times the single moms, well, all busy moms will say this, but how do I spend time with God? Like, you have no yeah. idea. They always want something from me. And um, we, I encourage them, let's just be practical. Let's layer God's word throughout your day yeah. like get up ha turn on focus on the family let it play in the background um we always played um scripture so our yeah. kids got dressed to the bible you know and it's just playing in the background of their life and on the way there uh to school then put on some praise music or adventures in odyssey um then you've got this all down yeah i know when you get <laughs> when you get home hey have those scripture memory post-it notes all around your mirror when you put on your makeup and you just layer god's word into your life you know in little two-minute bits and by the end of the day it's fortified you mm. 
This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Boost your parenting with the seven traits of effective parenting assessment. You'll learn your unique strengths and areas of growth as a parent. Find out how you're doing on adaptability, gratitude, grace, and other research-backed traits. We'll give you a detailed PDF on how to use your strengths and how to work on your areas of growth. You'll also get access to other resources from Focus on the Family to help you keep growing into the best parent for your kids. Take the seven traits of effective parenting assessment at parentingtraits.com. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Peggy Sue, what wise advice did your mentor give you about the impossibility of loving your children as much as they need? And what strikes me with that is a woman's quick ability to have conviction that she's not meeting somebody's need, that combination. So what did that mentor say to you? She said... There's no way that I can love my children enough to be enough. None of us can. Humans cannot. And so she said the quickest thing that we could do is just make sure that they're anchored in their faith. They know where to go to find what they need. And getting them to church was helpful, too. We had talked about that, of surrounding them with other people that are strong in their faith. And 50% of our children are expected to live in a single-parent home before age 18. Mm. So the mission field that's out there in your neighborhood, one in four homes, but 50% of all the kids, yeah. it's like you don't have to you know, go far. They're right there, and they're hungry, and they want to know, you know, come in, and let me tell you about Jesus. Let me show you that there is a seat here for you, and there's a, the door's open, and there's a place, and let me tell you about Jesus. Let me. This next question fits right in here, uh, and that is so often when you're talking or even counseling with especially a teenager or 20-something, about being fatherless. How do you disassociate our Heavenly Father in the right way so that they're not equating their experience with an earthly father with an unloving, rule-enforcing God who just carries a, a, you know, a stick to beat me with if I'm not behaving properly? So how do we rewrite that in their hearts to say, your earthly father's not your heavenly father? Right. I'll share real quick on mine. Um, God said, I want you to go to the Word. And I want you to make a notebook, and every time you learn something about God the Father, I want you to write it down. And wow, by the time I got through that year and the end of, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, I found out there is a Heavenly Father, an Abba Father, Mm. who loves me, who's faithful, who's dependable. And, you know, that gave me the ability then um, to rebuild my relationship with my earthly father. Because my vertical relationship with God was healthy, well, it expanded to my horizontal relationship. Yeah, and what's important there is you had to have some structure to do it. Yes. And I don't know that we as adults intentionally know that for our kids, that this has been dismantled. A healthy, loving father mm. on this earth is gone for them. Yeah. So how do we recognize that as the adults in their lives and then help them rebuild the scaffolding? to get them into a better place, into a relationship with a heavenly father who loves them unconditionally. Exactly. And Peggy <laughs> Sue talked about, you know, she had memory verses. The memory verses can be about God the Father. Or um, for this single mom, we, she doesn't feel loved. And so I had her start in the Psalms. And you do just like take, this is your love notebook from God, and write down every verse that makes you feel loved by God. 
Mention uh, you used the acronym GPS in the oh, book. Right. I think this was good. It's far better than the current uh, definition of GPS. So <laughs> what is your GPS? So we taught our boys, those who honor God, God honors a verse out of First Samuel. And so before you say or do anything, simply check in with your inner GPS. Does this decision show honor to God, G, people, P, self, S, Check in with that inner GPS. Yeah. And if you get a green light on all those, it's a good, healthy decision. No, and it, it works for single moms, too. As grown-ups, we can use that same you know, acrostic. Absolutely. Uh, Peggy Sue, I'd like you to react to this story. And I've shared it before, only once or twice. But I, the letter made a huge impact on me here at Focus. And it was you know, a while back, but this woman who was probably 32 or 33 wrote me this note. And this is right in your wheelhouse, and that's why I'm sharing it with you so you can give me and all of us listening some perspective. So at seven years old, her dad took her to breakfast and said, listen, Mommy and I aren't getting along. It's not your fault. I thought, well, that's good. Those are all the right things to say. But uh, we're going to not live together anymore. We're not going to be married. But I'll see you every other weekend, and I'll see you for two whole weeks in the summer. You'll come and be with me. And she was writing this letter now at 32, about a time when she was seven. And she said, that was the last time I saw my father. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And she said, and here's the connection going back to the rebuilding of the heavenly father's position because the earthly father did such damage. Mm -hmm. But she said, I got into so many bad relationships looking for a a father's love in the men that I would meet. And that is such a common story. That hole in a woman's, a girl's heart particularly, saying, am I lovable? It's crushing. A single parent home is still a family. And in that single parent home, we still learn people's skills that are going to take us into our life. It is still something that God can use. He's at work even in this. And so people would say, well, do you think God's big enough to handle this? I'm like, I'm sure he's big enough to handle it. I just don't know if he will. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to withhold from me because that was my experience in the past with what the men and you know, the authority people in my life, the men would be. They would just withhold that affection, withhold that relationship. And so I think it's really helpful then to be able to walk alongside someone because that was where working with a mentor where I could go and say, yes, I think he's going to withhold. And then we'd be like, great, let's go through scripture and let's see what does it really say about God. And so I found I had to come to all those places where I found a check or a, a place where I couldn't trust the Lord or the place where I'm like hurt or where I'm heartbroken or you let me down or you let my kids down. As I would find those I learned to dig down and to go through Scripture. What does Scripture say? And then I literally was able to replace the lies with the truth. Uh -huh. And that is so hard to do. And what happens is parents, we don't know the stories that our kids have told themselves about what happened in that moment. And so staying really connected with the kids and being able to like just – how do you feel about this? And I would see things come down. I would see a face change, and I would say, what did you just hear? As I was talking to one of the kids, well, you said I'm stupid and I can't do it. Right. No, I didn't. But what I learned to say was, I understand that's what you heard. Let me try again. And then I would talk some more until we would finally have an understanding. We have to keep finding out that when, it, when what I feel and what's going on in my head doesn't align with what Scripture says, I'm the one that's needing to come back and see 
What's the lie I'm believing? Dig it out and replace it with yeah. truth. But it's so good. We're right at the end. But I think people are getting the idea of how yeah. content rich this resource is. You've both done a great job with this book. And I hope people gobble it up. Two parent families should be reading this material, frankly. But right at the end here, you know, we've got probably two, three million people engaging us right now. So right. There's going to be a number of single-parent moms that are probably looking for help and hope. Speak to her one-on-one, each of you. Just take 30 seconds, a minute. What would you say to her if she were sitting right in front of you? You know, Psalm 68, 5 says that God will be a father to the fatherless. So God sees your children, and God loves your children just like you love your children, and probably more. And he loves you because you're one of his children. And he will rebuild you. He will renew you. He will strengthen you and fortify you. And your today is not your forever. Mm -hmm. And God has a plan, a future, and a hope. And one of the most healthy things I saw my mom do is turn around and help other single moms. Wow. So she comes to church, and her purse is packed with candies and crayons and goodies <laughs> for all the kids of single moms. And yeah. um, she has gift cards to take that single mom out to lunch. You know, turn around and help somebody else. And you know what? Your life will be enriched because Boy, God will bless you for it. Yeah, and that's the Christian story, right? Mm -hmm. Turn around and help somebody else. How about you, Peggy Sue? To know that, again, it's an experience. It is not your identity. Um, single is a relationship status, but mom is always. And God is at work even in this. And I wish I had been able to more quickly start moving and looking forward rather than always looking in the rearview mirror because I can't fix what's back there. Yeah. And holding on to that is... It's like having an anchor, but to be able to say, okay, what do you have for me now, God? You have me here in this moment. Where are we going? Move me forward. Help me not to carry the, the junk, to let that go, and then just to be able to walk forward. And God called us to love people and to love him. So in this moment, what does love require? Let me walk in that love and let me walk forward. Boy, and that is really freeing. I could feel that because so many women looking in that rear view mirror wear that as guilt mm -hmm. that they couldn't fix it mm -hmm. and they've got to cut loose of that mm -hmm. and rest in the lord and the future like Behold, you said. all things are new yeah. life is too short to live looking in the rearview mirror oh, it's so true this has been fantastic and i hope you are helped by the discussion but you can be helped even more by this great resource the 10 best decisions a single mom can make a biblical guide for navigating family life on your own. Uh, I think you get the idea. <laughs> we are bullish on this. Get in touch with us. If you can support the ministry, either monthly or one-time gift, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. If you can't afford it, we're a ministry. We'll get it into your hands and trust others will take care of the cost of that. Just get it. And don't feel embarrassed about calling us. We have Christian counselors. We have so many resources to help you. We've been doing it for 45 years. You're not going to shock us. I think we've heard it all. And uh, we will put an arm around you and do all we can to help you. Yeah, we're here to help. And our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.